Hey, so maybe you've got a great idea for a business and you want to start selling your products and services online. Or maybe you already have a business and you're a business owner and you're looking for some new customers. Or maybe you're just a dude or a dudette and you're interested in starting your own personal website. Well, no matter who you are, GoDaddy wants to help you kick some web butt online right now. They are offering a .com domain for just $2.95, which I can tell you from personal experience is an amazing offer. It's go time right now. Go and start your website today. You know you want to do it. Visit GoDaddy.com and enter promo code TOPICS295 to get your $2.95 .com website right now. Few limitations do apply. You can see the website for details. That's promo code TOPICS295 at GoDaddy.com. Go and do it right now. It's Topics, the podcast where two comedians discuss serious topics in a serious way. Although if something funny happens, that's fine too. I'm Michael Ian Black, joined as always by my very good friend, Michael Showalter. Hey. Hey. Um, we're wrapping up our residency here at Sketchfest in San Francisco 2014 at the Brava Theater. We've had a great run, and we're excited because this is the second and final episode featuring a live audience. Yeah. Um, this has been a really illuminating and at times challenging yes. uh, experience, but God, I'm going to take away so many good memories. Mm. And, and I just have a whole trunk load of stuff to think about. Well, just my time in San Francisco has really broadened my mind and, and really made me think of, of things in a whole different way. For example, I went to Alcatraz, Michael, mm. and that really changed the way I think about issues like <laughs> confinement, mm-hmm. privacy, um... That's great. And yeah. I and I just have a whole new perspective on the geography here, the yes. landscape, yes. the topography. No, the topography of is astounding. San Francisco. It's, uh, and it's just so unusual to yes. see a city with such interesting topography. Well, one of the things that I've noticed about San Francisco in particular are the many, the many hills. Um, you go up a hill, and then I find inevitably you go down a hill. It's so interesting. And isn't that just like life, isn't it? I mean, no, it we, really we, we go up hills, we go down hills, we go around through. Sometimes and, we bore right through them, isn't and it? And I think that, yes, a, and in, this me- yes. And in, this, in so many ways, San Francisco really speaks as this incredible uh, metaphor mm. for what it is like to to engage in this crazy thing that we call life. Yes. Really powerful, what you just said. And our time here was so brief. Um, We've spent several days here in San Francisco, and yet, when I reflect back on it, it seems to have gone by in the blink of an eye. And that leads to today's topic, time. Mike. 
Oh. Stop. Oh, music. Stop. That doesn't lead to today's topic. No. We, we had the audience vote on which topics we I know, and that didn't win. That's right. Although I wonder... I, I don't think Although that I wonder... Won. I wonder if, on a subconscious level... Okay. I wanted time to win. Well, and that's entirely possible. That's entirely possible. And that's something that I think we should talk about a lot in today's topic... The subconscious. Rather than just discussing the subconscious between the two of us, we thought it would be fun to bring out a guest, which is something we occasionally do on topics. It's somebody who has been a guest on the, on the podcast before and always brings such a distinct perspective to it. Please welcome to the stage, David Wayne. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for being here, David. So, uh, David, let's just get some of your, what are your uh, first impressions uh, when, when we discuss subconscious? What comes to mind for you? The subconscious is, in many ways, the conscious, but you're unconscious of it. Right. Oh. You know what I mean? And as a filmmaker... For me. As a filmmaker, I mean, you must deal a lot in the subconscious and the, these... these the things that we see in our head that maybe aren't always real. Ah, the unseen scene. And now, of course, as a filmmaker, I'm using the word scene. I mean, in the great... Obviously, we have in the, in the, in the great history of, of the filmmaker, we have, obviously, Louis Bunuel, yes. the great uh, Spanish... Bunuel, yes. it starts with Bunuel. It yes. always, yes. Um, I mean, Eisenstein uh, and his theory of montage. Mm. Uh, one look need no further than the Odessa Steps yes. sequence. The baby carriage moving down, interspersed with images of, of people, a woman, a mother, uh, terrified. Separately, the images are okay. Together, they're terrifying. And, and that's so... No and, it, and it's so interesting. And, and, and if you could just speak to this as a filmmaker and as a director, obviously, these images play on our subconscious, don't they? They tell us stories. The subconscious, when I, as a filmmaker... Mm which in, is really no more or less than a, a maker of films. Oh. Um, someone who makes films. I am someone who makes films. They're thus the perhaps ultimately overused moniker filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So, so really you're just saying that in actuality, while we use this phrase filmmaker... Sobriquet. In many ways, in many ways it seems like you're saying you're just a maker of film. Well... Truffaut, Francois Truffaut. Francois Truffaut, yes. yes. Published, you know, in his journal, Cineiste, which to me was, in many ways, the Rosetta Stone of film criticism. Mm. But separate from that. Well, what would be, if I could just, and, and I want to hear what you're going to say, what would be 
an essay from from uh, from from that publication that you could recommend well, to that, Mike the, and I. The, the public that publication and those essays are the cornerstone of my feelings about my absolutely, theory about filmmaking and, think, and cinema insists. in general. And so what I think what I'm wanting to know from you is if you could for for Mike and I and for the audience mm-hmm. here just point us into the direction of one any one specific essay that you studied that I'm, you I'm telling you literally all of the essays right. that were published in that journal were so forming to my point of view and my sensibility as a filmmaker and, and, I, and, and I know it would be, and, I, and I find this so fascinating yeah. and, and we have this amazing platform here so if you can just point to any one specific essay and if you could cite the author or even just what was the subject would, of it I mean to pick one would be to discount so many great thinking so much great thinking that went into these essays in that, in that journal which which was originally published in French, so. So, that's, so that would be one specific thing that you could say about it is that it was published in French. The, as a filmmaker, I will put in elements into the scene or the mise-en-scene, which is the placement of elements in a frame that are working on the subconscious I see. for the viewer. Uh, an example, role models. Hmm. There was... And this is, a, this is a film you made as a filmmaker. This was one of the films I made as a filmmaker. I would, there might be an orange in the corner of a frame. Now, the was oran- there an orange in the corner of the frame in, in this, is an, this would be a hypothetical example. Okay. Because you chose a specific film. <laughs> this is... This is a hypothetical example from a specific film that you made. Yes, I understand. The viewer's eyes are focused on, say, uh, a hand waving a scarf because Mm -hmm. that's what's attracting the most attention. But subconsciously, in the peripheral, and and for those who aren't in the ophthalmological world, the peripheral (laughs) is when you're looking straight, there's things on the sides that you may not see at least consciously Hmm. but you are seeing them again the unseen scene exactly continue it's an example of that so if the scene is a hand waving a scarf but there is an orange in the frame afterwards I might say hey what what did you see in the scene they'll say an orange no, they'll say they'll, I, that was a scene about a hand waving a scarf. But the orange was so visible in the right, frame. You've seen the orange. You described the orange. In fact, that was the first thing you said. There's an orange, and then there's a hand waving a handkerchief. Just because it's in the corner of the frame doesn't mean I can't see it. You are seeing it, but it's your subconscious that's clocking it. But it was right there, was, David. Yeah, you was, told us it was right there. It's on a screen. I mean... Because I'm, I'm, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not envisioning it the way you're envisioning it. I'm envisioning myself at a movie theater, seeing it on a big screen. There's an orange in the corner, and then there's a, and then in addition to that, well, there's and a also hand where you're this sitting is, makes such a difference because if you're in oh, the yes. in the side of the theater near where the orange is, you're going to see that. You're going to see the orange. But see now, this is where you guys are taking a jump in assumption. 
assumption. Uh-huh. I didn't say that the word assumption was on the screen. You did though. You said the screen. You said you said in, it was on, in. On the, you on said the you put it in the mise en scène. But did I? Yes. Maybe the orange is just in the theater, just sitting in the corner. You didn't say that. So you went to the movie theater mm-hmm. where the movie was screening. I did. And you placed an orange in the actual theater itself. This is a hypothetical, but yes. Okay. In which case, the subconscious mind of the viewer would say, I saw a thing, but I felt melancholy. Why? Was the scarf melancholy? No, but the orange was. was, And they didn't know that they saw, and therefore the subconscious affects the conscious. The subconscious affects your reality. Such a powerful image and a very straightforward example, which I like. And it calls to mind all kinds of questions about the arts and about how the subconscious reflects on our aesthetics. Um, For example, today, and viewers, uh, listeners, excuse me, at home can't see this, I'm wearing a plaid shirt uh, beneath a striped sweater with different colors on each. And you may think to yourself, consciously, those don't go together. But subconsciously, you think, I find him attractive. Because he's a risk taker. So, did I consciously put these clothes together so people would find me attractive? Or um, did I just instinctively know subconsciously that by doing so, um, one of the people in the audience would give me their phone number right before the show? Well, I know that when I was driving here with you in the car from the hotel to the theater, and you were asking me how you looked in that outfit, I got the impression from you that you really had put quite a bit of conscious thought into it that you had in fact laid the shirt, laid the sweater out on your bed, Mm -hmm. that you had observed them and wondered to yourself how would these two things look together and that you were quite proud of the outfit. Hey, so have you ever taken a quick trip to the post office? I bet you haven't because there's no such thing as a quick trip to the post office. It doesn't exist. You have to drive there. You're stuck in traffic. You have to find parking. There's nowhere to park. You get there. You're waiting in long lines. It's a huge hassle. So what do you do? What's the solution? The solution is use stamps.com instead because stamps.com is the quick and easy way to get postage on demand for any business. You can, with their service, buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package of any size using your own computer and your own printer. It's an amazing service. It really is. Stamps.com will even send you a digital scale that calculates the exact postage you need for any class of mail. So you don't need one of those expensive postage meters and you will never waste valuable time making trips to the post office again. It's amazing. We use Stamps.com here at Topics all the time when we are sending mugs and t-shirts out to the study groups. So to the study group in Tuscaloosa, to the study group in Eugene, Oregon, 
to the study group in Augusta, Maine, to the study group in Kissimmee, St. Cloud, Florida. All of those mugs got sent out using stamps.com postage. And we want you to try stamps.com today as well. And right now, if you use our promo code TOPICS, you will get a very special offer, a no-risk trial plus $110 bonus offer, which includes the digital scale and up to 55 free dollars in postage, which is an amazing offer. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in topics. That's stamps.com. Enter topics. So this is exciting. Our friends at NatureBox are supporting today's episode. And when I say they're our friends, I mean it because we love NatureBox and we love eating food out of the NatureBox. NatureBox is a brilliant company with a revolutionary and delicious idea. And no, the idea is not to deliver a big box of dirt-covered broccoli to your door because that's not a revolutionary or a delicious idea. What it is doing is delivering healthy and delicious snacks directly to your door every single month. Are you avoiding high fructose corn syrup? Are you avoiding hydrogenated oils and artificial flavors or colors? Well, so is NatureBox. Each snack faces strict quality standards and are approved by painfully strict nutritionists who happen to have a fun streak because these things are really good. You can pick your favorites. They have lemon tea biscuits, salted caramel pretzel pops, or you could go with a wild rotating surprise box every month and they have a huge collection of tasty treats from Aztec chia seed trail mix to Bombay curried cashews. My personal favorite is the cheddar pretzels, which honestly is the most delicious snack I think I've ever had in my entire life. It's a pretzel nugget and it has cheddar cheese flavoring on it and it's to die for. So snack better, snack smarter, and snack plentifully. Go to naturebox.com slash topics to get 50% off your first box. I promise you, you will not regret it. Go check out naturebox.com slash topics today. You know, colors have such a profound enumeration of your experience subconsciously that people aren't aware of. For example... uh, my sister had uh, someone come to the house to uh, evaluate what her best colors are, and she's in autumn. Uh, she should wear autumn colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend's mother is a fall, is a summer, and should wear more greens and whites. <laughs> but I said, then what I think, which is, you look great. Well, thank you. You look great. Thanks. And um, I guess on a subconscious level, I would have hoped that you wouldn't embarrass me by saying that I probably laid the clothes out the night before because it makes me seem vain or uh, overly concerned about my appearance. And that wasn't fair, and that wasn't nice of me, and I'm sorry. I'd really like to ask a question. If you're saying it out loud... Isn't it by definition now a conscious level that you're thinking that? Hmm. And let me just quickly ask you, Mike. I mean, I don't even know. Did you lay it out? Yes. (laughs) Yes. But I think you're. But not consciously. Oh. 
I didn't consciously you lay were, it out. It, you were, it was an out-of-body sort of out, outfit experience. What happened was I had these two items of clothing, and I was holding them up, and then I gently sort of laid them on the bed beside each other in a very haphazard way. Mm-hmm. And then I rearranged them so that they would be, so that they would look, they would be together. And I looked at that and I said, I bet that would look good if I wore it tomorrow to the podcast. But it was, this was all done unconsciously. What, can you remember what your conscious mind was thinking at the time? Maybe you were listening to the Rachel Maddow show Mm -hmm. or something. What? I think on a, on a strictly conscious level, I was thinking, what should I wear tomorrow? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we talk about uh, we talk about the placement of objects in a visual plane. Yes. And I think David, you you said something that I that I want to. Well, just... I gave the example from role models. Right. <laughs> you said something that I just want to p- piggyback onto, if I could, which is this idea of the waving uh, mm-hmm. scarf and the idea of magic. And I know, David, that this is something that you do. This where magic, where we think we see something, but we don't. And what, what, is, what we call that is an illusion. But the illusion of a, a magician's art, a prestidigitator's art, if I could use the more proper term, is only trafficking in manipulating the subconscious of the viewer. Okay? So if I say to you, an example is, I have a coin. Does anyone have a coin? Sure, I do. Okay. If I took a coin... Uh, is an American matter. coin okay? Yeah, this, so this is a, a 25 cent piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, a quarter. Could we call this a quarter? Yeah, Might we call this 25 cent so, piece If a you're quarter? so consumed, then you may. <laughs> so the subconscious... By the way, I want to say this is a perfect time, David, for you to do a magic trick yes. is on this podcast. No, I'm going to... It has... It is, it is... There's no better moment for sleight of hand... I'm making a a point, though. This is a point that I can express verbally, which is if I took the quarter and I put it in the other hand, the subconscious mind saw the quarter move into the other hand. What the conscious mind would do if if it didn't have subconscious would know that it stayed in this hand and didn't go into the other hand. Wow. And that is what a... That is what a... A magician's stock in trade is... Now, now for those of you that aren't in in the theater right now... David passed the 25-cent piece from his right hand into his left hand, and granted, it did appear... It really did appear that, to, to that, move. That the, ...that the coin was in the left hand when, in fact, and David revealed it to all of us, the coin remained in the right hand. Did it move from the right hand to the left hand and then back to the right hand when you revealed it? That, no, and I'm glad you asked me that, because it seemed like it. But what I did was, I did something that a magician calls a palm, where you just hold the coin, and it looks like I let go, but I don't let go. Hmm. It's still there. In speed, at speed, 
Hmm. Now that thing you do at the end where you touch your forefinger to your thumb, do you need to go to camp to learn how to do that? Uh, no, I learned that at the Richmond Mall uh, when I was 12 at a, a magic uh, class taught by Manny Sperling. It's called A Magician's Flourish, a little fairy dust at the end. Well, that raises a whole other idea, which is the idea... I'm going to take the idea of real-world magic and prestidigitation and move it into the world of fables and mystery. I'm going to move it into the world of mythology and the subconscious and the fairy dust that you mentioned and these creatures that have inhabited our imaginations, our subconsciouses, if you will. Let me... me, Is an example uh, of Boogeyman? Yes. Well... Continue. And in a certain sense, these creatures, these creatures of the subconscious, these dwellers of the soul become ever more real as they emerge from our imaginations. And suddenly as we walk through the woods, oh, what's that, the leaf rustling in the tree? Is that a wood sprite I see? (laughs) In a very real way, I think the answer could be yes. Michael, what do you think? Well, it's so interesting what you're saying because in a sense you are really getting to the very essence of what is true and what is fiction. And if we saw something or didn't see something, does that mean it wasn't real or Mm. was real? Is our imagination intrinsically false? Mm. Or is our imagination true? I would put out that sometimes I will wake from, awaken from a dream and I will say, wow, that was a, a crazy reality I was in. I'm glad to be back in reality. But it seemed so real, the dream. I wonder if that was the real. Oh, wow. And what I am in now, this might be the dream. That's an unbelievable song. That's what I'm saying. That's actually what I'm saying is what is real and what is fiction and is there even a differentiation between the two which brings me back to my idea the idea that you brought up earlier which is is the subconscious really the conscious David and is the conscious really the subconscious I'm actually blowing my own mind as I say that (laughs) well if you look at certain fiction I mean Vonnegut comes to mind uh, Hemingway. Uh, these are imagined worlds, or mm. even the, the fantasy J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes. Okay? Building a whole imagined world. Well, like, so, whether Hemi- it's Hemingway or J.R.R. Tolkien. People will. Go, going say, back to Hemingway for a second. Um, Hemingway. Uh, let's just. just the, well, let's, let's take The Sun Also Rises out of the equation. Okay. What would be another one of his books that you liked? <laughs> Hemingway is one of the great authors, the greatest authors ever to live. Everyone feels that way. I feel like, and The Sun Also Rises, as you mentioned, is probably... It is his most famous book. And without question, my favorite. What would be another one that you liked? I like, I mean, The Sun Also Rises would be the number one. What in The Sun Also Rises did you like so much? I I liked everything about it. I I thought the... His use of, of language was mm. amazing. The characters. The uh, setting. The setting was 
just so vivid to me. And just the whole, his whole way that he spun the story to me. It's is, funny, I actually, I read the book so long ago that I've forgotten many of the details. I have yeah. too. David, could you just remind us... Because Mike and I read it so long ago, we've forgotten the details of The Sun Also Rises. If you could just ar- uh, remind us of just some of the more specific well, the details. the story is unforgettable. It's unforgettable. But I know that having read The Sun Also Rises, I don't remember the story. <laughs> just in a capsule, just in a very capsule way, just it's tell us what it's about. Hemingway's great novel. You know, it's his take on, you know, his point of view of what what it's all about. It, it actually speaks to the subconscious in that way. Hmm. If you think about it. Do you think he was drawing from his own experiences as a veteran of the Spanish Civil War, David, in recounting his tale of uh, Spanish conquest, as it were, as he traveled around the continent, drinking grappa, fornicating, contemplating his own misfortune, his own war injury. I would not presume to be so uh, arrogant to sit here in 2014 on a stage in San Francisco and to Mm. tell you what was going on in the subconscious mind of an author that lived some number of years ago. (laughs) It just... uh, there's an obnoxiousness to that, which I would not lower myself to, especially when it comes to the likes of Hemingway, who I admire so much. Ding, 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 ding. I do think we've probably hit uh, the 80% mark in the topic of subconscious... Although, no discussion of the subconscious would be complete without at least a tip of the hat to a certain Sigmund Freud. Michael, go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, he was the father of, the, of, of modern psychiatry and the whole idea of the ego and the super ego and the id and uh, penis envy and <laughs> there were so many things that he yes without Freud in my humble pop you know uh, pop psychology opinion because I did not go to psychology school The whole notion that when you have an, an issue uh, as an adult, that there's a source in your early childhood, whether it's, f- for example, if as a, f- as a young child you had a big penis in your face, <laughs> pressing against the, um, the bridge of your nose mm-hmm. for a long period of time, then as an adult, you may you might have, have a fear of, a big, fear penises. of big penises. Pushing against pushing the bridge against, of your nose. Exactly. And it was Freud who identified that that might be sourced from that traumatic experience mm-hmm. in childhood, mm-hmm. and that only comes out through psychoanalysis. Yes. That's great. That's so great. 
I've really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. And I look forward to speaking with you again on the next Topics. Thanks, Mike. Hello. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Topics. Please help us get the word out about the show by writing us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you'd like to write to us a question or a comment about this episode or any episode, please do. Our email address is topicspodcasts at gmail.com. Thank you. This has been an Earwolf Media production. Executive producers Jeff Ulrich and Scott Aukerman. For more information, visit earwolf.com. Earwolfradio.com The wolf dead. <laughs>